Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to be studying the book of Joel. And this will be study number one of Joel chapter one. And I'm going to read the first seven verses of Joel chapter one. The word of Jehovah that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust has left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation is come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. He has laid my vine waste, and barked my fig tree. He has made it clean bare, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. And I'll stop reading there. Now, Lord willing, we hope to get through in this study uh, on Sunday afternoons, the book of Joel. And Joel is only a small book of three chapters, and it has much to say concerning the time of the end. And that's why uh, I, I feel it's important to go through and to um, see what we can learn from this book. Uh, it, in its three chapters, it uh, discusses the Great Tribulation and the final judgment at the end of the world. Actually, if we were to um, summarize these chapters, we could say that uh, Joel chapter 1 is a chapter that deals with the Great Tribulation in verse after verse after verse. And then in Joel chapter 2, God has a good deal to say about Judgment Day, and also he lays out his overall gospel program of times and seasons in bringing rain, the the early righteous rain, the early rain, and the latter rain, and and so there's much information in Joel chapter two, and then in Joel chapter three, the Lord again spends a good deal of time discussing Judgment Day, the the time we're living in. And and so in these three chapters, uh, there there's intense concentration on the time of the end, which began with the Great Tribulation, and then transitioned to the Day of Judgment, where we're presently at. And, and so... Uh, basically, we can say the book of Joel covers the very likely 10,000 days of overall judgment. 
that God will bring to pass as he brought. We do know the Great Tribulation was precisely 8,400 days, and it's very likely Judgment Day, a prolonged period of time, will be 1,600 days. And so the overall judgment, the complete judgment of God, will be 10,000 days. And Joel covers the complete judgment of God. And and so uh, we we want to take a look into this book. E-Bible Fellowship is trying to look at as much biblical material as we can that relates to the subject of the final judgment of God, because that's where we're at in time, and uh, that's why uh, in our nightly Bible study we're going through the book of Revelation. It's why we've been spending time in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21 and so much time in Jeremiah 50. All these passages relate. They they all fit together. And the more we can uh, search out, the more we can learn concerning these days. All right, let's go to Joel chapter 1 and verse 1, where it says, The word of Jehovah that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. And, of course, this is the word of Jehovah. This is the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And we also know, as um, as God tells us in the New Testament, in Second Peter, chapter one, in verse twenty-one, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, and that's why this is the word of Jehovah that came to. Joel, uh, the prophet Joel, he was moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. And, and that means it wasn't according to his will. It's not from his mind. It, it, uh, even though we'll refer to Joel 1 and, uh, and a certain verse or Joel 2 or Joel 3, uh, it is God's word, like all scripture. It is coming forth from God's infinite, brilliant mind. And that's why uh, we we will say, well, God said here, and God said there, and rather than Joel said this, or Joel said that, and um, it, it, it's a little disturbing, really, when we hear some theologians or pastors and they're constantly telling us what Paul said or what Peter said or what this man said. Now we we do make reference to writings. God moved the Apostle Paul to write or Peter to write and so forth but we we want to continually remember God is the author of the Bible. He's the one who wrote these things using the prophets as writing instruments. He he moved them to record these words. So 
this is uh, perfectly the word of God. Now, Joel, Joel, uh, is a Hebrew name that means Jehovah God or Jehovah is God. And, and so uh, that's a very factual, faithful statement. And it's a wonderful name. Jehovah is God. Jehovah God. And that means Savior God. And, and so Joel will be, uh, used of the Lord to declare the word of Jehovah God. Alright. And he's the son of Pethuel. Now, Pethuel, the, the ending L, just like Joel, means God. We, we can be certain of that. But as far as path you, um, it, it's unclear. Now the uh, Strong's Concordance gives some ideas, but it, it's from a word that can mean several different things. And, and it, it could be translated as deceive or enlarge. And that's a pretty big um distance between those two words so is it is it deceive god or or god uh, something to do with deceive or uh, as strong's concordance says um enlarged of god or something like that well it it it's and there's several other words that are uh, related to that too it's unclear of course we want to get it correct but we don't have to make a statement when there's uh, so many possibilities of what it could mean, so we'll we'll just leave it at that. Uh, we we know that this identifies this particular Joel. Now there's other Joels that are sons of other men, and and that's why in the Bible, when God would say a man is a son of another, well that that sort of uh, basically as we use last names today where uh, we we use our first name and then our last name our family name identifies us and and uh, this identifies this man Joel uh, it distinguishes him from other men who might have had this same name and then it says in verses 2 and 3 hear this ye old men and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land hath this been in your days or even in the days of your, of your fathers, tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. Now the um, the tell your children about it, it is really, um, I think, emphasizing four generations, because you... Uh, are to tell your children, so you're one generation, your children are a second generation, and your children tell their children a third generation, and their children another generation, which would be the fourth. And it would, uh, the four generations, the number four points to, um, the furthest extent of what is in view of, uh, universality, of the worldwide scope of what God um, has to say, and and this is information for everyone. It's going to impact and affect all the people of the world. 
And also, um, as verse 2 says, Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. And, and that is very important. And God often in the Bible, he, he says, hearken, listen, hear, and open up your ears. Pay attention to my word. And we should. Uh, this is not uh, the word of our fellow man. This is the word of God. This is the word of our creator, of the almighty. And he is speaking things that are true and faithful. He is speaking things that he knows to be certain and sure. That's the big, big difference between the writing of the Bible and the writing of any other book or any other writing of man, any philosophy, any religious writing. Men write things, and they're not true and faithful. They're not certain and sure. Uh, they, They may get a couple of things right every now and then, but they get much wrong. There's much error, many mistakes, many lies. Not so with the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible is true. The Bible is perfectly accurate in all that it says. And God, having the vantage point of existing forever, of dwelling in eternity, of knowing the end from the beginning as he can see the future and and knows exactly what will take place in the future and, and therefore can write hundreds and, uh, and thousands of years ago in the case of Joel. And by the way, we don't know when... Um, uh, precisely Joel was written. Uh, it's not keyed to a certain king. The only king that is mentioned is Jehoshaphat, when the valley of Jehoshaphat is referred to. So God doesn't uh, pinpoint the date, uh, but it, it, it's in the time, probably 27, 2800 years ago. And so it was it's an ancient writing it is thousands of years almost 3000 years ago god moved the prophet joel to record these words and and in these words yes god would um give information concerning the historical coming of babylon against the nation of judah and and uh, that also would be prophetic. It would foretell the future, uh, which would only be a couple of hundred years at most in the future from the time of the writing. But more than that, God would speak forth and declare the end of the world. And he's doing so from millennium before it would happen centuries and centuries before it would happen, God is going to describe the destruction of the Great Tribulation period as as he will bring Satan against the New Testament churches and congregations. And then he'll describe the destruction of Judgment Day, 
that appointed day that began on May 21, 2011, in chapters 2 and 3, and he'll, he'll even tell us of the spiritual characteristic of Judgment Day. And in addition, the, the book of Joel, it is a wonderful illustration of God's times and seasons as related to harvest. It speaks of the rain that, that, uh, brings forth the word of God as God saves his elect. And it speaks of the judgment, the famine that of the great tribulation, the famine of judgment day. And, and we'll find that Joel 1 is going to discuss the ruination of the harvest, pointing to the destruction of the churches and, and the fruit that they were to bring in. And of course, we're, we're seeing, uh, in our study in the book of Revelation, as we're in chapter 14, that God typifies the final judgment of this world as a harvest time, the final harvest. And in Joel 3, the very same language is used concerning putting in the sickle and, and their wickedness is great as they're cast into the wine vats and, and so forth. It, and, and the Lord, uh, relates that final harvest to the darkened sun and moon and, and the stars, just as we read in Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation, the time of judgment comes. So it, it really is an incredible foretelling of events that uh, God will later elaborate further on as he does in the book of Revelation and elsewhere in the Bible. But it, it, it is something that, that all of us ought to hear and give ear. We, we should listen to the word of God always in, in all places. But here God is calling our attention. And he also says, Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? And, and that reminds us of the, uh, special character of the great tribulation that is unlike any previous period of time as, as the Lord says in Matthew 24 verse 21 for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor ever shall be it is uh, a tribulation that is not normative but great it's megastolipsis great tribulation and uh, in the world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation, which was the typical character of life throughout the church age. But then comes the end of the church age and great tribulation. And uh, I think that's uh, what's being referred to here. Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? No, this is something different in in character. It It's a, um, uh, an end to the church age. Well, then again, in verse 3, tell your children and their children, their, uh, and let your children tell their children, and so forth, pointing to four generations that are to um, hear these things, and I think the four generations would, would um, represent 
all the the people of the land, as God said in the previous verse, that that all ye inhabitants of the land were to give ear. Tell everybody, in, in other words, this information. And and isn't it interesting that was one of the important elements during the second half of the Great Tribulation was a worldwide proclamation concerning the approaching Day of Judgment on May 21, 2011. And, and all were to uh, be warned. All were to hear. And, and uh, we, we weren't to hold back from anyone. Everyone was to hear that message. All right, let's let's go on to verse four of Joel one. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust has left, hath the cankerworm eaten, and that which the cankerworm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Now God just goes immediately into um, discussing the destruction that these creatures are bringing without really laying out the um, what they're destroying but it's um obvious that it is the harvest and the following verses will confirm that for instance in in verse 10 of Joel 1 the field is wasted the land mourneth for the corn is wasted the new wine is dried up the oil languisheth um, be ashamed, O ye husbandmen, husbandmen, deal with vineyards and so forth. How, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished, the vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. A very strong emphasis on the ruination of the harvest. And, and that is what the judgment God brought to the house of God accomplished. It ruined the, the fruit that the churches were bringing in. And remember, God typifies the church age as the bringing in of the first fruits. Well, once God saved all those to be saved, the, the first fruits, he identifies them with the number 144,000 in the, in Revelation 14. Once he saved them all, then he brought judgment, which ended the church age, and the Holy Spirit left the congregation, Satan entered in, and from that point on, the crops the spiritual harvest of all churches in the world were completely destroyed. And and that's why the harvest of the field is perished. And we we would just be uh, so uh, grieved and so disturbed if God left the circumstances just like that. But he didn't. And that's why in Joel 2, he goes on to speak of the latter rain. And, and that would take place at, at the same time 
He's judging the church, destroying their harvest. And, and their harvest is completely ruined. As, as we read in the book of Jeremiah, uh, they have no latter rain within the churches and congregations. God brings the rain outside of the church during the second part of the Great Tribulation, and he saves the great multitude outside of the congregations of the world. But Joel 1 is discussing what's taking place within the congregations, within the churches, and and so we have uh, the palmer worm and the locust, the canker worm, and the caterpillar for... Uh, destructive creatures uh, concerning a harvest or concerning the fields. They can destroy the field very quickly, especially given the numbers that they swarm in. And, and that's what God is describing here. In Joel chapter 2, in Joel 2, I made reference to this a couple of times. I'll read uh, from verse 23. It says, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in Jehovah your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. And here we see that God is the one sending these creatures to destroy. And he calls them his army, his great army. And that's because when the Lord Jesus Christ who possesses the keys of hell and death, the key of the bottomless pit, opened up the pit and released Satan. And and knowing full well what Satan would do, God released him, and Satan immediately entered into the congregations and took his seat as the man of sin because the Holy Spirit departed out of the midst. And God speaks of of Satan, uh, he typifies him as the uh, king of Babylon, and in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord calls the king of Babylon my servant, because the king of Babylon would direct his army to come against Judah in full accord with the will of God to destroy those that were called by his name, to bring judgment first on the nation of Judah, and which typified judgment beginning at the house of God at the time of the end during the Great Tribulation. And then that judgment transitions as it has to the, the nations of the world. And, and, and yet, uh, Satan, um, was doing the will of God, as that's the one thing he's good at, is destruction. And so God brought him to, and, and his emissaries, his forces to destroy the churches of the world. And it's pictured by, 
the palmer worm and the locust and the canker worm and the caterpillar destroying the fields, destroying the crops. Well, let's um, look at Deuteronomy uh, quickly to where we'll see uh, locusts that are mentioned in Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy chapter 28, and verses uh, 37 through 39. It says, And thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations, whither Jehovah shall lead thee. And in Deuteronomy 28, beginning in about verse 15, God speaks concerning the curses that come upon a disobedient people. As Israel and Judah were disobedient, rebellious against God, well, the things that the Lord says in Deuteronomy 28 would come upon them. And then it says in verse 38, Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shalt gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards and dress them, but shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. And and so Joel is is really drawing from um, these prophecies, these words of condemnation that God wrote um, through Moses, warning Israel, warning Judah. Of course, Judah didn't exist at that time, but warning the the people that call themselves by God's name, the the Jews of old, that you had better be, be faithful. If you're unfaithful, if you do not keep my commandments, well, these are some of the things that will happen to you. Deuteronomy 28 is an um, intense chapter which describes um, a terrible judgment for an unfaithful people. All right, let's go back to Joel 1 and verse 5. Awake ye drunkards and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Now here, since God is saying, Awake ye drunkards and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, we can understand that they were asleep, or else there be no need to awake. So they are asleep and drunkards. And that uh, reminds us of what the Lord says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, when he speaks of the coming of the Lord as a thief in the night, and then uh, it, it says in verse 3, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. And there, there's an emphasis here on sleeping, sleeping in the night, or, or, or being uh, drunken 
and you're drunken in the night. And remember what God said? That we are not of the night, speaking of true believers, nor of darkness. And and so to be in darkness means that you're unsaved. And to be of the night, you have no light to enlighten um, uh, you, and, and so you can see. And that's the problem with Israel of old and the the church of the time of the end when God brought judgment. They were in spiritual darkness. They They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. They cannot see the truth of God's Word. They cannot understand the Bible because the Bible is a spiritual book that requires spiritual sight in order to understand. And if you lack spiritual sight, then you're, you're lost with the Bible. Uh, the, you, you can't understand it. And so you'll, you'll, uh, develop doctrine and gospels that are false because you lack spiritual sight. And that is certainly the case with the New Testament church to some degree throughout its history, but especially at the time of the end. And of course, now at this point, they're in complete darkness because the, the gospel light has long been put out within the congregations. Now, let, let's look at an interesting verse in uh, Job. In Job chapter 12, it says in verse 25, They grope in the dark without light, and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. See here, God is giving us the picture of someone who's in the dark. And we've all... Um, when the lights went out, maybe with a power failure, or or playing uh, a game as kids, we've we've groped around in the dark, and and you're you're putting your hand in front of you so you don't walk into a wall, and you have no idea where you're going, you can't see anything, and you may stagger like a drunken man if um, if there were to be a video uh, posted of your moving around a dark house, it, it would look perhaps as though you had been drinking. And, and, and that's the idea. They can't see, which causes them to stagger like a drunken man. Well, it, it all comes down to um, the fact that God is not with them. He has not saved them. And this produces uh, spiritual blindness. And and that's what uh, spiritually being uh, asleep in the night and drunk in the night points to. And and so here uh, the Lord is, is telling them to weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. And the new wine would point to the true gospel to which brings salvation. It, it would point to the uh, faithful teaching of the word of God and 
God's Spirit blessing that teaching to the hearers so that they might become saved. And and we can uh, be sure this is what's in view uh, because we have um, something stated similarly in Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah 7, beginning in verse 25. It says there, Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearken not unto me, nor incline their ear, but harden their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of Jehovah their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished, and is cut off from their mouth. And that is a synonymous statement with what the Lord is telling us here in Joel 1, in verse 5, um, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Truth is cut off from the mouth of Judah, or truth is cut off from the mouth of the the New Testament churches and congregations. And, and, uh, and that did happen the moment the Holy Spirit abandoned the church and came out of the midst, leaving the church to itself. The truth, who is Christ, was cut off from them. And that's what God is indicating here with this statement concerning the new wine. It, it's, it's the gospel truth. It is the salvation that comes as a result of the uh, the proclamation of God's word faithfully and the Holy Spirit of God blessing that word to those that he has predestinated to receive it unto salvation. Well, um, th- this is a horrible thing. And whenever we read of God's judgment on the church, it is a terrible thing. It, it It's an awful thing that so many uh, that profess his name have come under his judgment. All right, let's go on to verse 6 of Joel 1. For a nation is come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. Now here we find a reference to a nation. And the Hebrew word translated as nation is goy. Goy. It it is um, 1471 uh, in Strong's Concordance. It's also translated as heathen or Gentile. And in some cases people. It's a very common word. And If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy 28, that we looked at earlier, we'll read where God um, declared what would happen to, again, a rebellious people. 
such as Israel of old and such as the New Testament church. This has application to the churches. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 33, The fruit of thy land and all thy labors shall a nation which thou knowest not eat up, and thou shalt be only oppressed and crushed alway. And there God is speaking of a nation eating up the fruit of the land. And, of course, it was the palmer worm and, and the canker worm and the locust and the caterpillar that are being used to illustrate that. And early on in verse 4, and now God is speaking of a nation, and it, it's going to typify the Babylonians, who also are being used to illustrate a spiritual truth that Satan and his kingdom of darkness will come against the end-time church and destroy the fruit. The Lord speaks of his elect as the precious fruit of the earth, and they cannot be destroyed. It's never the... um, the ones that God has truly saved, that no, that fruit cannot be destroyed. Uh, that That is uh, eternal, and, and God safeguards his people, protects his people. His people will receive their salvation. Never can they lose it. But for those that were associated with the gospel, that were coming in and gave the appearance of fruit, as as others, as God's elect, that fruit is destroyed. And God does speak of them as fruit. Actually, he, he calls um, them evil figs and, and those that he saves good figs in Jeremiah 24. It says in verse 1, Jehovah showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of Jehovah. After that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah. And then in in verse 2, One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Then said Jehovah unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good figs, very good, and the evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again, the word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Thus saith Jehovah, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. And then in verse 8, And as the evil figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Surely thus saith Jehovah, so will I give Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and his princes, and the residue of Jerusalem, that remain in this land, and them that dwell in the land of Egypt, and I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places whither I shall drive them, and I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them, till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. So yes, God does speak of uh, even the unsaved within the congregation as figs or as fruit, but they're evil figs. They're bad figs. They're, they're not like his people that are the good figs. And, 
And there in uh, Jeremiah, the Lord was um, speaking of those that go into Babylon, into captivity, as those that come out of the church are the good figs, because all the elect would have left the church. And those that remain in the church were the evil figs, the the uh, the unsaved. It was the separation of the wheat and the tares. And, and even with that, there is a good crop of wheat, and then you have the tares that, that cannot be eaten. And, and so God is speaking here in Deuteronomy 28 of destroying the fruit, which would point to the unsaved in the congregations. It also says in Deuteronomy 28, verses 49 and 50, Jehovah shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young, and he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle, and the fruit of thy land, until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind, or flocks of thy sheep until he have destroyed thee. And that nation, again, is Babylon. It is the uh, kingdom of Satan that God says will come and he will destroy all the fruitfulness of the churches and congregations. It It's amazing when we read the language of the Bible that some people uh, who ought to know better are still saying, oh, there could be saved people within the church. Uh, they're, they're basically saying, yes, they could be, um, they're, they're basically saying that the evil figs could be considered good. They're, they're saying that Satan did not eat up all the fruit, that there could still be some fruit, and they're not reading the Bible. These are things they're saying out of their own minds. It's just um, they have no basis from the Scripture to make those kind of statements that God could be saving people within the congregation, even while they would say, yes, the Lord is judging the church, but he could be saving some people. The two do not go together at all. God is judging the congregation. Actually, the judgment is complete upon them. And he gave them time. He warned them of what he was going to do. He commanded them to come out, to go to Babylon, to uh, give evidence of being a good fig. And those that stayed behind rather gave evidence of being a bad fig, uh, of being fruit that is of no um, no good character of, at all. Well, let's go to Jeremiah 5. In Jeremiah 5, it says in verse 11, For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, saith Jehovah. And, and they're, again, a rebellious people. That's uh, the overwhelming theme of the book of Jeremiah is that Judah has been unfaithful and therefore the warnings God gave that we're reading of in Deuteronomy 28 take effect. 
It's, it's the time of their judgment. And then in verse 15, Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far, O house of Israel, saith Jehovah. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what they say. Their quiver is as an open sepulchre. They are all mighty men, and they shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which thy sons and thy daughters should eat. They shall eat up thy flocks and thine herds. They shall eat up thy vines and thy fig trees. They shall impoverish thy fenced cities, wherein thou trustest with the sword. And nevertheless, in those days, saith Jehovah, I will not make a full end with you. And why would God say that? Because while he is bringing that wrath upon the churches and congregations, and and it was a especially awful time for the first part of the Great Tribulation, the first 2300 evening mornings, God did not make a full end of his elect, but he had a way of escape for them, go into captivity, but uh, um, further outside of the churches and congregations, the Lord would bring the latter rain and he would save a great multitude. And and that's why this verse declares, I will not make a full end with you because God still had a plan uh, to save his people to complete his salvation program outside of the churches. Well, let's go back to Joel. Joel 1. And uh, again in verse 6, For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the cheek teeth of a great lion. Now we know the nation. It's the nation historically that points to Babylon. But uh, again, this relates to the time of the end. It relates to the judgment on the churches and congregations of the world. It is Satan's kingdom. As Babylon typifies the kingdom of Satan and the king of Babylon, Satan himself. And God did loose Satan. He, he loosed him, um, to come against the churches and congregations. And notice it says in Joel 1 6 that, uh, the nation that will come is without number. Now if we go to Revelation chapter 20, we read in verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired, and the thousand years are figurative, pointing to the completeness of Satan's binding throughout the church age. When, when the church age ends, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Satan is loose, deceives the nations. Just as in the Old Testament, um, the the word the Hebrew word goy points to, um, or it could be translated as nation or Gentile, same as in the New Testament, the Greek word ethnos can be translated as nations or Gentiles, and Satan deceives the Gentiles. It's it's the Greek uh, equivalent word for uh, uh, for goy, and and he he brings them together as the sand 
to come against the camp of the saints. Uh, In Revelation 11, it says in verse 2, But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, to the nations. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. That's describing Satan's assault with the nations against the New Testament church and he is victorious. He, he, uh, he comes against the church with God's full, complete will behind him. It, it is all done according to the will of God as Satan will be a destroying weapon in God's hands to wreak havoc upon the congregations, to bring total spiritual devastation and destruction, to ruin the spiritual harvest within the church. And this he did very well. Uh, he, he performed the task that was given him exactly as God knew he would and ever since judgment began at the house of God on May 21, 1988 not one soul has been saved because that would mean that there was a good fruit that would mean there was some harvest of some kind if anyone were saved within the church but none have been saved all are bad fruit. All the harvest is perished. It is ruined. God's final harvest would not be found in the church. And that's um, the wonderful news in the midst of all this bad news that God had another plan. And, and he would save a great multitude of people and yet not one of them Not one, once the the judgment began at the house of God, would become saved within any church in all the world. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.